Hello, and welcome to Vision of Zion. I have with me again our guest, Sean White. Hello, Sean. Hi, Greg. It's good to be back. It's been a while, and we are redoing Isaiah chapter 21 because the recording just didn't capture everything. For some reason, we had a glitch. So that was a good thing, though, wasn't it, Sean? Yeah, we found some, I don't know if call them mistakes, but some more information that would enlighten us more on the subject. In our last podcast, we talked about listening to spiritual promptings and learning to act on those spiritual promptings. A new question is formed as I say my prayers. May thou provide me with a way to build up the kingdom of God here on earth today. I have been amazed at the peace that this has brought to me and see small ways each day in which I can act on these promptings and lift someone spiritually. This has provided a new sense of peace and quietness in my mind. Now, as we overview this chapter, um, here in this chapter, I will address these verses in the same paragraph structure in which they were written in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This chapter addresses the situation of four different groups of people who choose not to gather to the Promised Land. It starts about a year after the invasion of America by the king of Assyria. I'm going to read from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. The burden of the wilderness of the sea, as whirlwinds in the south sweep through, it comes from the wilderness, from an awesome, spacious land. A grievous vision is declared to me. The treacherous man deals treacherously, and the destroyer destroys. Go up, Elam, attack. I have stopped all of media's sighing. Therefore, my thighs are filled with anguish. Pains have taken hold on me, like the pains of a woman in labor. I am in so much pain that I can't hear. I so am dismayed that I can't see. And my heart flutters. Horror has frightened me. The twilight that I desired has turned into trembling for me. They prepare the table. They set the watch, they eat, they drink. Rise up, you princes, oil the shield. For the Lord said to me, Go, set a watchman. Let him declare what he sees. When he sees a troop, horsemen, each in pairs, a troop of donkeys, a troop of camels, he shall listen diligently with great attentiveness. He cried like a lion, Lord, I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime, and every night I stay at my post. Behold, here comes a troop of men, horsemen in pairs. He answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the engraved images of her gods are broken to the ground. As whirlwinds in the south sweep through, it comes from a wilderness, from an awesome spacious land. Many hurricanes are formed in the Australia-Indian Basin. These storms, called cyclones, travel towards Iran. The tornadoes Iran experiences are far fewer than the United States, but they can be extremely severe. A grievous vision has de is declared to me. The treacherous man deals treacherously, and the destroyer destroys. Go up, Elam, attack. I have stopped all of Meta's sighing. Isaiah has shown a grievous vision. 
the descendants of Elam, came from Shem, the son of Noah. They lived in the area of Media, also known as Medes, which is located south and southwest of the Capsian Sea. Today we would think of this area as Iran. The site of these people Elam is attacking. The king of Assyria's army is so horrific that Isaiah compares it to a woman giving birth, as the whole body aches at the scene of the attack. Rise up, you princess, oil the shield. The shield was anciently a very important part of the battle. Oftentimes, warriors would anoint their shields with consecrated oil before going into battle. The shield was very important, not only as a defensive weapon, but as an offensive weapon. During the Roman Crusades, soldiers would make sure that every inch of their shield was covered in oil. It represented the Holy Ghost covering you. Anointed shields deflected the enemy in hand-to-hand combat against the Muslims that they were fighting. Go, set a watchman. Let him declare what he sees. When he sees a troop, a horseman, each in pairs, a troop of donkeys, a troop of camels, he shall listen diligently with great attentiveness. From the Guide to the Scriptures, the the definition of a watchman is to warn of things while they are afar off. A prophet denounces sin and foretells its consequences. He is the preacher of righteousness. On occasion, prophets may be inspired to foretell the future for the benefit of mankind. Let me interrupt you for just a second, Sean. I'm looking at your notes and the part about the shields, uh, and you mentioned the Roman Crusade comparison, uh, and then there was another sentence you put in there that in your visions, this is the army of God. Did you want to talk about that, or did you want to leave that out for now? Well, let's go to the end and come okay. a little bit back on that because the army of God does help and prepare. I guess we can talk about them. I just uh, don't want you to sk- skip a note if you right. if you wanted to cover it. That's all. No problem. But I do believe the army of God will protect the righteous there as we go f- a little further into who the Elamites are and things. Okay. I think it'll be a lot more clear. Okay, let's cover that in the next verse about crying like a lion. He cried like a lion. Lord, I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime. Every night I stand, stay at my post. Behold, here comes a troop of men, horsemen and pairs. He answered, fallen, fallen is Babylon. And all the graven images of her gods are broken to the ground. Babylon is a city where King Nebuchadnezzar ruled. It is the largest known city in the world at the time. It was believed that over 200,000 people occupied the city of Babylon, which was approximately four square miles. This is where Daniel in the Bible prophesied from. Modern-day Babylon falling is talked about in Revelations 14.8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of her wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then in chapter 18 of the book of Revelations, it goes into great detail of the destruction of Babylon as it describes being destroyed in one hour of one day. In our day, a prophet or prophets will announce to their people that the great city Babylon has fallen. Today, Elam 
is a growing group of Iranians who have had visions of Christ and are escaping to Iran and going to Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Turkey to hear more about Christ. The people of Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Turkey are very short on Bibles and asking for donations for help. There's a link to this story in the notes. The story Which of the we'll post that. The story of the Elamites rising up is similar to the battle of the righteous elders of Israel rising up to take back America and establish a new Jerusalem. They are fighting to take back the ancient lands given to the Israelites and establish old Jerusalem. This all happens before the great battle of Armageddon. So going back to the army of God helping the Elamites and um, the Elamites, when I started researching them and finding out what a wonderful, righteous group of people they are and how they are converting to Christianity now by the droves and leaving everything they own, crossing borders and treacherous conditions to get to where they can hear more about this Christ that they have only heard word of and read of him, risking everything. It is just stunning to watch this happen and what they're doing. And the Lord will protect these uh, righteous people and will have a place waiting for them as, you know, he stops all of medias or metas, meets sighing and all their complaining and everything, and then they come forth. Well, just a quick question here, Sean, before we go forward. This is still in the future. Yes. Yes, Okay. Okay. Let's go to verse 10. You are my threshing and the grain of my floor. That which I have heard from Yahweh of armies, the God of Israel, I have declared to you. You are my threshing, the grain of my floor. Here we see the Elamites are righteous people, which is represented by the words grain of my floor. If they were wicked people, they would be described as terrors, which are good for nothing and to be cast out. Verse 11, the burden of Duma. One calls to me out of Sair, watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? The watchman said, the morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, come back again. The city of Duma lies east of the Dead Sea on the road to Babylon. Duma had good wells, and the people were able to plant and grow crops. Sierra means rough. The Sierra Mountains stretch between the Dead Sea and the Gulf of Aquiba in the northwestern region of Edom and is the south, southeast of the ancient kingdom of Judah. I saw many righteous people gathering to this mountainous region for safety in my visions. They call out to a prophet seeking advice as to the enemy approaching. In my walk with the Savior, I saw four areas in which the people connected with Old Jerusalem would be able to safely gather in this region. These areas will be likened to inner valleys that the servant sets up for the true believers in Christ on the American continent. Okay. Verse 13, the burden on Arabia. In the forest of Arabia, you will lodge, you caravans of Dedanites. They brought water to him who was thirsty. The inhabitants of the land of Tema met the fugitives of with their bread, for they fled away from the swords, from the drawn sword, 
from the bent bow or bow and from the heat of battle. Anciently, the Dedanites were a mixed race of people. The land of Tema refers to the south country. The word Tema means palm tree or righteousness. The people of Tema were descendants of Abraham's son, Ishmael. They lived along an important trading route going to the Mediterranean from Egypt. The people fleeing northward from the king of Assyria met up with the people of the of Tema. The people from Tema shared their bread with them. These fugitives did not gather when the servant had suggested. They escaped towards the land of Tema. They have seen the horrors of the king of Assyria's army has inflicted upon the people. They were met by a people who gave them water and bread, because they have run out of supplies as they hid in the forest. This scene is reminiscent of a scene I saw in my walk with the Savior as I was taken through a portal to an area that appeared to be New Mexico. There were several good Christian people that I th- that thought they might wait out the king of Assyria's invasion in the mountains. I saw that they had been praying because their food supplies were shrinking. I saw several bands of marauding men through the mountains. One such group approached the group we were viewing. The men had planned to kill the men, rape the women, steal their food, when suddenly a resurrected person appeared and let out a scream like a mountain lion. The mountain lions descended from the forest and devoured the wicked men. Then the lions disappeared. The resurrected man spoke with the Christians and guided them to join like-minded people in the inner valleys that were sanctified and protected by the servant for the righteous children of God that could hear his voice in prayer. Verse 16, For the Lord Yahweh said to me, Within a year, as a worker bound by contract would count it, all the glory of Kedar will fail and the residue of the number of the archers, the mighty men of the children of Kedar, will be few. For Yahweh, the Lord, excuse me, the God of Israel, has spoken it. Kedar was the name of Ishmael's second son. The people of Kedar were known for their fabulous tents. They were a nomadic people. In Jeremiah 2.10, God uses the people of Kedar as an example. Excuse me, the people of Kedar as an example to the Israelites. Kedar had replaced the one true God with false God and remained faithful to their false gods. Within a year, as the worker bound by contract would count it, all the glory of Kedar would fall. Within a year of the king of Assyria's invasion of the Arabian Peninsula, the nomadic lifestyle of these people will come to an end. Okay. So that ends chapter 21. Let's get into some of these questions. So it sounds to me, Sean, like this is speaking about events that will unfold in the old world, which are not dissimilar to what we're going to see in the new world, which is uh, people being protected by the hand of God, people being let out to safe places, and in some instances, the Lord either protecting them or fighting their battles. And therefore, we can draw some uh, analogies to us as well, uh, even though this is occurring on a foreign land. Yes. Okay. Um, 
I just wanted to talk about this image of the Watchmen and just going a little bit. Uh, the Watchmen is a powerful mm-hmm. metaphor, which I believe refers to the Lord appointing prophets to have um, foresight and the ability to warn us about either oncoming dangers or and to uh, witness what is occurring. Yeah. Is that fair? Exactly. I mean, oftentimes we want to think of only one watchman. But if we look to the time that Lehi left Jerusalem and count the number of watchmen there, I mean, Daniel was definitely a watchman. Isaiah was just a little bit before that time, but we have six or seven that were prophesying at that time and giving warning to the people. And so within different regions of this world, I think we can you know, we need to listen to the Spirit and understand who's telling the truth and who's not, but all these people stand as a witness to help us and to guide us, and it's our um, our sense or our connection with Heavenly Father to know whether or not they're speaking truth and how it would affect our family. So, in support of this idea that the watchman refers to prophets or maybe prophets and apostles, I want to point out a couple of things. First, I'd like to read some verses from Ezekiel because the Lord, when speaking to Ezekiel, tells him he is a watchman. So just to give some examples here, Ezekiel 3, 17, son of man. And when the Lord uses son of man in this context, he's referring to Ezekiel, son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at at my mouth and give them warning from me. So, this is a Ezekiel warning and calling Israel to repentance. Another verse here, Ezekiel 33, verse 2. Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchmen. I won't finish that right now, but that goes on from there. Ezekiel 3, 6, but if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So this is kind of an interesting verse because the Lord says if the watchmen who don't do their duty um, and don't warn that those who fall it'll be on their head. Yes. It doesn't say they don't fail. It says if they fail, then uh, they don't take away the iniquity of the people. So there's this, uh, I think about Jacob when he preaches in the Book of Mormon, says, I'm going to preach so that my garments will be clean from the blood and sins of this generation, basically. So the watchman has a very heavy duty here. Uh, the next verse there is so this is verse seven so thou son of man i have set thee a watchman unto the house of israel therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me uh let's go to the so that those are the verses in the, in ezekiel i think they're very very important verses here that complement you know, this 
you're better at the scriptures than I am at remembering things, but it seems like towards the end of the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, 140 to 142, it talks about the weight of a leader. And when a leader makes a bad decision, the weight of it on his soul, because he is affecting the salvation of so many souls as a leader. And I, as I've been studying the trials and things that Ezra went through in his life, and we call him the great scribe as he wrote Malachi, Chronicles, Ezra, and Esdras, he wrote four great books. And the things that he went through in his life bring about some exiles out of Babylon back to Jerusalem to worship in the temple as they should. I mean, I just take my hat off to him. And I think after studying his life a bit more, man, I need to pray for the watchmen more to have strength. It was, It's not an easy calling. It's not an easy responsibility by any means. It's a very heavy responsibility when you look at both the heaviness of the message and the weight of the responsibility and the consequences for failure. It's yeah. uh, not a job anybody would lightheartedly or, per, I mean, they're watching, as you read here, they're watching day and night. Yeah. It's constant. And uh, I had a question about the term Babylon. We may have covered this before, but I just want to get your opinion of it. You describe the size of Babylon, and Babylon becomes, after its creation and after its duration, and then it falls. Uh, why is the city of Babylon picked on and used as the symbol for the future fall? Well, it's such a heavily thick populated area. When you think of 200,000 people within four square miles, I mean, it is dense, dense. When I look at the pictures of the ancient city of Babylon, where it was, and they try to do computer regenerations of what it might be like, there was just no room to be yourself, and you were constantly influenced by others. You weren't um, the weight of that. And so as we look at modern-day Babylon and the world and the different cities that control so much of how we believe what trends we have, who we worship, how we are worshiping and things. There, Some of these big cities are wielding way too much power over the small people of the countryside and everything and how they believe. And she's caused us, these big cities have caused us to fall into iniquity because of policies and things. And we become preoccupied with fighting against policies and their wickedness, you know, I mean... The ideology of some uh, with transgender and LGBTQ issues and things, I mean, they're pushing these issues on us to a point where we don't have a choice much anymore to make a choice for ourselves. We just have to obey the law. It's being pushed so hard. And is that right, that we should push these ideologies and not let the people have a choice? And... Um, uh, going back to Babylon, I just want to point out some features about the city that I know of. And if if I have it wrong, or if there are additional details to add, let me know. So you said it was four square miles. And as I recall, it was completely walled in, correct? It, it was, yeah. So this image of carnal security is reflected in the image of Babylon, right? Yes. And I think with that carnal security comes this feeling like, 
we're impenetrable, we're unconquerable, we can do whatever we want because, you know, we have physical protection, right? Yeah. And as I recall, the way that Babylon was conquered, if I remember right, is there's a river that ran through the city that was the source of their water. It came right under the wall or there was an opening in the wall. And if I recall, what happened is um, the enemy diverted the water. So the water table dropped and then they entered in, I presume, at night through that opening in the wall. And that's how they took over the city. Yeah. Is that your understanding, too? That's true. Yeah. So they obviously didn't have the watchman on the on the wall watching at night. No. Otherwise, they would have uh, seen the water diversion. They would have seen the water drop. So they relied too much on the wall. And, uh, of course, then we have the wall, um, which was initially uh, this protection, was no protection. And it probably didn't take, I'm assuming, a very large army to conquer the city because they were not prepared. It reminds me of being too trusting in the arm of flesh. I mean, they were totally trusting in what the arm of flesh could provide them and did not look for what arm of flesh, I mean, that um, God's arm could protect them with and the spiritualness of of that and in inspiring them to maybe watch the water coming in and to defend themselves there. They completely overlooked that spiritual side that could have protected them because they were so into the world. It was always a very rich, also a very rich city um, that yeah. worshiped at least at some point during their history, worshiped false gods. Uh, isn't that where Nebuchadnezzar was located? Exactly. And Daniel prophesied from. And the Israelites were at one group of Israelites was carried off into the city for a period of, I think it was uh, 70 years. So a lot of symbolism with Israel and vulnerability uh, of relying on carnal security, uh, the metaphor of not having watchmen on the tower. We see this same theme played out in a different way in the Book of Mormon when the uh, Nephites who became repentant and found themselves surrounded by Lamanites got the guards drunk and were able to escape, you know, from the the city, which had a wall around it. So we see these interesting uh, examples in the scriptures to warn us spiritually uh, to not rely upon the arm of flesh. And, yeah. and that a system that is built up on uh, uh, worldly wealth is very um, prone to collapse and book revelation really really paints a graphic picture of this collapse of this type of um, system right yeah okay i was extremely moved by this last week last couple of weeks watching what's called the old believers of russia and how that they left 300 years ago under stalin's rule because of change in religious things and uh as they left you know they're the places where they worship are houses of prayer they're not like a house of worship or anything and when you go there you don't have ministers and you don't have priests or pastors you have tutors to help you hear god's word they tutor you in hearing what god sounds like to you you are responsible for getting answers 
and I think, you know, our houses of worship, um, maybe we need to just sit back for a minute and look at what the real purpose for our houses of worship are. Do we put too much reliance on just listening to a speaker or something that and not engage ourselves in how we hear God when we hear of these prophets and everything, should we be focusing a little bit more on the trials that they had in hearing God and the things that they overcome or the trials they were hearing so that we could find those in our own life and not push all of our reliance upon other men and all our salvation onto other men? I think our efforts that we're supposed to put into our lives when we say, what is, what's the purpose of our lives, you know, beyond the, trials and temptations uh, that we go through uh, as mortals uh, really goes back to your first statement, which is in your prayers, you say you feel prompted to say, what can I do in my life, in my little sphere to build up the kingdom of God on the earth? And for those of us who have been to the temple and we know about consecration and that our efforts are supposed to be focused on this, we're really trying to focus on the kingdom of God building up that the Savior came to do right my kingdom is not of this world if it were i'd have my soldiers fight but i'm not here to set up a physical kingdom i'm here to set up a spiritual kingdom now we know that in revelation chapter 12 there's going to become eventually uh i believe with the collapse of babylon there will be during the millennium there will be this uh excuse me secular structure that will be established that the savior can rule and reign over but the spiritual preparation for that um and the kingdom foretold by daniel those all are going to come and our focus is to to the to the degree that we are building up the kingdom of god we are insulated against the disastrous fall of babylon in other words uh if we heed the prophets and apostles regardless of the um, physical circumstances that may surround us, we're going to survive and we're going to uh, gather, listen to the watchmen on the tower. Um, as you mentioned, have our own the spiritual uh, acuity and be attuned to the spirit so that we'll know what to do. And uh, I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful juxtaposition is the kingdom of God that we're building up quietly and spiritually, uh, because I think we can all see, come on, let's face it, um, just in our country alone, we can see that these things that are going on today cannot continue as they are. If we don't change and change direction with our debts, with our societal priorities, with our rejection of the plan of salvation as a country, uh, we're, we're doomed. Um, and so is everybody else who uh, rejects the commandments and the plan. That's just, it's just a matter of when, right? And maybe we can turn it around. Maybe we can't. That's what we're all hoping for is to turn it around, but we still make preparations and, and focus on keeping the kingdom built up. I'm excited because this conversation leads us right to chapters 24, 25, 26, and 27, which are the apocalyptic chapters that we're getting ready to cover. And what I found is really they should be handled as one chapter because there's a chiastic structure 
that mirrors itself back to the beginning with these four chapters. And it talks about our Heavenly Father setting up walls and uh, how long these walls are and how they descend from heaven and they mirror into the book of Revelations. But they're set up to protect his righteous people and uh, all the things about these walls. So it's going to be some really exciting reading over the next, over covering the apocalyptic chapters here. Well, since we've already recorded and posted chapters 22 and 23, I'm excited to skip from uh, the point of view of the listener to those next chapters as we um, get into those apocalyptic chapters. So that's great, Sean, and probably a good point at which we can end this podcast. Sounds great. Okay. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you, Sean, and thank you for your diligent effort to uh, bring to light these often obscure, you know, verses and appreciate all your work on this. And until next time, this has been Vision of Zion.